Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life before the sheep. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you very much, Debbie, for reading those passages. Thank you, Chris and company, uh, for leading us in worship. It's so wonderful to sing together, to praise God together, and to kind of see what he's got for us in this moment. Uh, If this is one of your first times here at Neartown, we are excited you are here. Uh, It's a joy to have you with us. As I said before, fill out that connect card, say who you are, put it in the blue box in the back. I would love to welcome you and then see you in successive weeks here. Uh, If you've been coming for a while, if it's your first time, if it's somewhere in between, it doesn't matter. This is a day of celebration. It's free food on the 4th which means there is free food right after service. So uh, text all the people that you were going to go to lunch with afterwards. It's okay if I see your phones and you say, we're eating here for free. And then hang out here. We'll go out that way right afterwards. We're excited that you're with us. It's good to have everybody here. My name is Andrew. I'm the associate pastor here. Over the last few weeks, it seems that all of us have essentially been reeling from Harvey. In one way, shape, or form, you've been dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. 
I know that immediately after Harvey hit in the next few days, I was in houses mucking them out. I'd get in there with many of you who I've actually served alongside in these homes. We'd cut out the drywall. We'd take out the rotten carpet. We'd take out the bad furniture, things that were toast. And we would take them out wheelbarrow by wheelbarrow, armful by armful to the curb and start these amazing trash piles. You know, and it would start small and you just keep adding to it and keep adding to it and it would grow and it would grow. Whether or not you have been in these homes, you've seen these trash piles all around Houston, in front of businesses, in front of homes. There are just these monuments of ruin. For some folks, I... I look at those, rather, when I was in these homes, for some people, the, the trash would go out of the house kind of easily because it was just like, well, it's gone, get it out of here, move it on. Those were my favorite owners to work with. They were the ones who just kind of just kind of pointed at everything and just gone, gone, gone. There were other homeowners that were still coming to grips with the fact of what level of ruin and destruction had befell them. Because it was like, hey, this is soaked with water three feet up. And they say, ah, I got that from my grandma. I know. I'm sorry. It still needs to go to the curb. And having to walk with people through it who are kind of coming to grips with the fact that something that they valued so much was now trash. And, and then other people, there was stuff that we were seeing. There were things that weren't, they were kind of hidden, rather. They were things that weren't available for the public eye, and they had been ruined. And these things, they made it to the trash pile. And then there were other things that people had spent thousands and thousands of dollars, things that they had put so much value in, and it also got taken to the curb to be thrown away. It was trash. It got me thinking. I have been thinking. I continue to think as I pass all of these trash piles, what did these contents mean to the people inside the homes? As they looked out at that, what in that pile did they say at one point recently, as long as I have that, I'm going to be happy. As long as I have that thing, I'm going to be satisfied. All it took was a whole lot of water real fast, and it was trash. It was trash. So where is their satisfaction? Where is their happiness? Some of us, I know, we didn't get hit as hard. And yet I want you to be thinking as we're talking today, if you had that trash pile, what might have been some of the things that you had out there that previously or even today, you say, as long as I have that, I'm going to be happy. As long as I have that. I'm going to be satisfied. Okay, hold that thought for a moment. Today, we are going to move forward, and we are going to look into God's word and say, what does God have to say about his goodness? Here is the statement that I will be working with. God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for my satisfaction. God is good. And I don't have to look elsewhere for my satisfaction. We are going to go into God's word. We're going to hear what God has to say about his goodness. And then we are going to say, if his goodness is all that he claims it is, 
then what difference does it make in my life? What's that going to change for me? So would you all bow your heads with me? Jesus, I thank you that you have spoken to us through your word, and I ask that where we go today is guided by you, is given to us by you. Let us see you more fully and be confident in who we are in you and the direction you're sending us. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want to, in your Bible that you may have brought with you or on your phone, you can turn to the book of Jeremiah. If you want to follow along in a paper Bible, just slip your hand up if you didn't bring one, and Sarah will be glad to hit you up with a Bible. She won't hit you with it, but she will let you borrow it or have it if you don't have one. We will be in Jeremiah chapter 17. I think my Bible matches these Bibles, so if you want to go to page 645, you can go there. Background to this text. Jeremiah is writing to Israel. Israel is at a crossroads of sorts. Their, their destruction is coming. God has already promised that exile is going to come because they have previously put their hope, put their trust, put all of their satisfaction and happiness in themselves and their stuff. They have sought after others. And God is coming to them and saying, okay, I know this is what you've done, but I want to kind of lay this out for you. Door number one and door number two. Door number one is what you have chosen to do. It's how you have chosen to live. So we're going to read that. Chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. What's the result? He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Some of this might read... Uh, very foreign to y'all. Prior to moving out here, Megan and I lived in Tempe, Arizona, Phoenix. So here's what I can tell you for sure. Deserts are dry. Uh, Hot heat is awful. And you don't want to be stuck out there without water away from shade. It is unrelenting. It keeps bearing down on you. The wind is hot. It feels like an oven when the wind blows. It was already bad, and now you're getting hit with oven air. It's awful. And so God is coming to Israel and saying, you have gone after yourselves. You've gone after your money. You've gone after your stuff. You've trusted in you. You had the opportunity to trust in me, and you've said, no thanks, God, we're going to go our own way, so we bounce, and you go this way. And God says, okay, you've chosen to do that, but what is the result? A shrub in the desert will not see any good come. Dwell in parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. I kind of, I looked at this and I was like, this is God's really nice way to say, it's not going to go well with you in three categories. Shrub in the desert, you're not, there's no good coming. Parched without sustenance. No ability to actually be whole. No ability to get back to comfort. No ability to continue to survive and thrive. It's gone. Last one, uh, uninhabited salt land. 
you're going to be out there without aid. You're uninhabited. There's nobody out there. It's going to be awful. There's nobody you can call to. It's going to go poorly. It's not going to go well for you. So how, I mean, what is it, Dr. Phil? How's that going for you? How's this going for you, Israel? Does this sound appetizing? Because this is your very near future. And then this is, this is door number one. This is what they have picked. Their exile is coming, and God is saying, are you sure this is the route you want to go? Let me show you what door number two is, the option that I have continued to call you to me. Verses seven and eight, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So God offers this door two. He says, trust me. Trust me. Look to me for your goodness. Look to me for your care. What happens when we do that? We'll categorize this. It goes very well, in fact. A strong tree with constant provision right there. The stream is going to feed it. The tree will be strong. It will constantly be flowering. It's not going to fear. You, as a person, are not going to have to fear when God is right there and you trust in him. When the bad times come, you aren't going to freak out. You're not going to lose it all. In fact, God is right there to say to Israel as he's calling them, be with me. Because when you're with me and you trust in me, you don't have to fear when things go bad, when destruction comes. And when destruction comes, when the hard times come, you will continue to bear fruit. Well, that sounds awesome. Door number one, constant destruction. Remember, hot oven air. Door number two, the tree planted by the stream. This is God coming to Israel and saying, I am giving you wisdom. Listen to wisdom. A week and a half ago, Russell and I were mucking out a house, as he uh, termed it last week. We were on our mandate, and we went to go muck out this house, and uh, we needed to take out a backsplash, and the backsplash had gone up under the vent hood right above the stove. So we had to pull off the vent hood so that we could get the rest of the backsplash. If you've ever done anything in homes, if you've messed with them, you'll know, for the most part, vent hoods are wired into the electricity of the house. So it's not a matter of unplug it. It's a matter of you need to properly deal with the electricity uh, before you can take it out. And I said to Russell, hey, Russell, I think... I think this is wired in. We should probably kill the power. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it looks like it's wired in as he's like taking pliers and ripping open stuff and exposing all the wires. And I was like, hey, uh, we, we should probably kill the power. And he's like, I think, I think we're good. I think I got it. So he starts unscrewing all the screws and I'm holding up the vent hood so it doesn't fall on him. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, it's definitely wired in. I think we need to go kill the power. And Russell's like, no, I think, I think I got it. And he pulls it. Boom! And so there are sparks everywhere. And we now see singe marks all around where everything is. And I was like, gosh, come on, Russell, stop it. Let me go turn off the power. He's like, no, no, I got it. I said, stop. <laughs> and he pulls one more time. Boom! This one's bigger. And I was like, 
come on, Russell. And I ran out of the house, and I killed the power, and I walked in. I was like, what? What are you doing? I said, let's kill the power. And you said, we're good. And I said, let's kill the power. And you almost killed both of us. And so afterwards, after the, kind of the, you know, the energy has died down, he's kind of like, yeah, you, you probably saved my life. And I was like, well, I probably did. God is coming to Israel and saying, I have wisdom for you. Please listen to me, because the route that you are going to continue to go down is going to kill you. It's going to kill you. Door one, door two, what are you going to go with? Now, I have the feeling many of us are very familiar with door one. We've been running after stuff and things and people trying to find happiness, trying to find that one relationship. You know, that one guy, that one girl, they're going to make it all better. We've been trying to find that one job. It's going to be perfect. When we get this job, it'll all be perfect. Or that one position. As long as I get that position, then my worries are going to go away. Then I will be satisfied. We all have something we've been running after, and we aren't trusting on God. That's door number one. I honestly don't feel I need to describe it all that much because I think we're all painfully aware of what that looks like in our lives. We just don't want to talk about it. Okay? So allow me to use the rest of this time to say, what does door number two look like? What does it look like when somebody trusts in the Lord? So if you want to go with me, turn to Psalm 34. Psalm chapter 34 in my Bible, page 463. Verse 1, David is writing. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Let me pause here. Do you know, does this sound familiar? Not because Debbie happened to just read this, but does this sound familiar? This sounds exactly like the situation that Jeremiah described for those who trusted in the Lord. Now, Jeremiah wrote about 425 years after David. So this text preceded I, Jeremiah's prophecy, pardon me, Jeremiah, Jeremiah's prophecy, but this is exactly what it looks like. I mean, he was describing this, and this is David literally going through this and saying, this is how God cares for me. I trust in him, and this is how he cares and protects me. Now, he's, he's going on this thing. He's talking about how awesome God is, and in the midst of it, he has this exclamatory moment. He gets so excited. Verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Okay, so I always find it funny 
this is, this is me. I, I don't know how you read it, but sometimes I come to the Psalms or some of these happier type texts and I read them and it has David with this, this exciting tone. Let's praise the Lord. Let's bless his name. Let's do gleeful things with unicorns and rainbows. And, and I always read into it and be like, come on, David. Like, this doesn't even sound like you're in reality. Like, I appreciate that. Yes, I want to praise his name, but things are hard. Now, if you were to go back to the beginning of chapter 34, and there's this little section right at the top. It says, this is from David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went, him, he went away. What's the situation? Okay, well, where is David when he's writing this? Already he has been had oil poured on his head and anointed the next king. He's already killed Goliath. He has already risen to stature in Israel, so much so that Saul, the king, hates him and wants to kill him. He has attempted to take his life multiple times. Saul and his men are chasing David all around Israel, trying to kill him. David then has to go over into enemy territory. He went over to the Philistines. He went to Abimelech, the king, and said, I need help. But he didn't just go and say, hey, I'm David. Hello, I need help. He went over and he acted mad. He acted insane. He went with spit running down into his beard for a long time so that Abimelech took pity on him In this circumstance, David running from one enemy into the hand of another, he writes this. This is not rainbows and unicorns. This is David in the midst of the biggest trial he had faced at this point in his life saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, David doesn't just want to spout these platitudes, say these wonderful things about God, things that he does. He is inviting the reader, the listener, the singer to taste. It's an experiential thing. Now, you've probably talked to me before about food because I heart food, and I probably described to you a dish or two at a certain place. I don't know. Let's just pick one. Zoe's. That's lunch today. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about how good the meat is on the kebab. You know, it's got the perfect char on the outside of it. And then they pair it with some great vegetables so that the meat bite with the vegetable bite tastes great. And the marinade that they use in the grill is just perfect. And then you've got the sides and the cookie. It's hot enough outside that it's almost like the cookies get recooked. And so, like, you get to have them, and they're soft, and they're chewy, and they're wonderful. Now, wouldn't it be annoying if all I wanted to do was talk about it and say that's great and then change the subject? By now, half of you, your mouths are watering. You are thinking about lunch. What do you want to do? You want to taste it. You want to taste it. We are not here at church just to hear a bunch of facts, to check boxes and say, I made it to church. I feel good about myself. No, there is an invitation from God to all of us in the room. Taste and see. Taste and see. Come into my presence. Be before me. Experience me. Have a relationship. Find out for yourself that I am good. 
Don't just memorize platitudes. Let's go face to face. Let's talk. I want you to know me and see that I really am good. So what does it look like then? If we taste and see, if we go and we say, what does it look like to be in God's presence and know him intimately? I want you to jump with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse, uh, verse 9, that's page 896. Verse 9, Jesus opens up and he says, I am the door. Now, my sermon would really tie together perfectly if Jesus had said, I am door number two. Because then I could have just said, look, even Jesus claimed it, but he didn't. So, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, I just want to stop right there. Jesus is already claiming something very unique. He's also, not only claiming something unique, he's claiming something wonderful. People have been yearning for this for this whole time. Again, door number one, always on the run, no hope of a future, emptiness. Door number two, safety, security, thriving. These are the things that have been promised already. And what does Jesus say? Using the analogy of the sheep and the pasture, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He is going to come in to my pasture and he's going to be safe. The wolves aren't coming in here. And if they do, they will get kicked out. If you come in to me, you'll be safe. He goes on and will go in and out. A sheep is only going to stay where they think they are safe. They will only go out to a place that they also think they are safe. Jesus is both welcoming us, anybody who calls him their shepherd, us, his sheep, And he says, come to me. You can go in and out. You can have freedom. The freedom that you have been longing for, the freedom that you have probably been trying to work for and earn, you can't earn it. It's in me. You can come in and you can go out freely. There is freedom in Jesus. He goes on. And in me, they will find pasture. Sheep need food. They need pasture. They aren't able to travel far and wide for all their sustenance. It has to be right there. And Jesus says, come into me. You will find all the sustenance, all the nourishment, everything that you have been looking for. It's here. It's in me. He goes on, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. He says this again, uh, verse 11, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. Jesus makes, like I started to say, a unique claim. He claims not just that if you follow him, good things will happen. He doesn't claim that if you act like him, good things will happen. Instead, he claims, I am good. I am good. I am the good shepherd. I am the one that you should seek after. I am the one who is going to care for you. Look no further than me. God has been talking to Israel forever and saying, come to me, come to me, leave all the emptiness, repent, which means to turn around. It's like 180 degree. So you were going this way, please repent. Turn around, 180 degrees, go this way. Come to me. And Israel, to this point, humanity, to this point with Jesus, has not been able to do it on their own. They couldn't. They needed a savior. And Jesus comes down from heaven, 
God's son, God in the flesh, comes down and says, I am the good shepherd. All that you've been looking for, it's in me. Lean on me. I am good. I will lay down my life for you, but I will take it up again. I'm coming back. Trust in me. There's some people in this room who've never trusted in God. You've never turned to him. You've never believed that he is good. Jesus comes to you today as the good shepherd, and he issues this invitation, just like David. Taste and see. Taste and see. Taste and see that I am good. Jesus is offering that invitation to you today. He wants to be in relationship. He is calling you to repent. Stop going to door number one. Stop going to the things that are empty and turn to me. If you want to talk after the service, love to pray with you. I'll sit right down here. We can chat. We can pray. Jesus wants to invite you into relationship with him. And he says, taste and see. But here's the other thing. There are others of you, many of you, who have already tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but you find yourself constantly out of sorts because you are looking for other things to provide your happiness and satisfaction. You've heard God is good. You might say that you believe God is good, but the reality is your day-to-day does not look like you actually believe it. See, our actions kind of betray what we really believe. We can say one thing, but if we do another, we're kind of acting out of what we believe. So God comes to us today and is, is kind of issuing a challenge. Do you really believe that I am good? Do you believe that I am good? God is challenging our beliefs and also inviting us again. Taste and see that I am good. Turn to me. Turn to me. I know I already mentioned a variety of things that might be bugging you on the day-to-day, things that you are looking for to provide your satisfaction, to provide your happiness. What is it for you? Is it the job? Is it a status? Is it a new car? Is it an iPhone 10? Or X, I think they said it's supposed to be 10 anyway. What is it for you that you are saying that you, f- you fill in the blank? Once I finally have this, then I will be happy. If anything else is in that, then this is the idol that you are running to. And this is what God wants to say, I'm better than that. That's door number one. That's going to leave you in pain. I offer you myself. Jesus comes to us today and says, taste and see that I am good. I want to take you back mentally to those trash piles that I talked about throughout the city. We all see them. We all know that they're there. Would any of you today like literally today, go out, find any of those piles and say, well, let's load it up. We're going to put it in my house. I want to fill my car up. We're going to go and reset up my house. 
right now with the stuff that's mildewy and gross. Not one of you think this is a good idea. I, could, I saw even some big eyes, like, that sounds like the worst idea ever. And it is. Why is it the worst idea ever? Because it is gross, it is trash, and it would kill you. The trash pile is door number one. Why do we want to keep going back to these trash piles and saying, I think this is going to work today? I think this, I know those last few relationships were bad, but it's the next one. That's going to be the one that fixes me. That's going to be the one that satisfies me. This next job, it'll be it. It'll unlock it. I'll finally have it. It'll all be good from here. It's the trash pile. Left in ruins, waiting to be picked up by the garbage men because it's worthless. And Jesus is standing next to you on higher, clean ground and says, don't, you don't want that. Come to me. Taste and see that I am good. God is standing here and telling us today that he is good and we don't need to look for our satisfaction elsewhere. Will you taste and see that he is good? Bow your heads with me. Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to stare deep into your face. Lord, there are things that you probably brought up in our own hearts, things that we have been running to, that we have been looking at to find our happiness and satisfaction. Jesus, what are those things that are in competition with you? Jesus, what do you see in us that is in competition for you? Lord, I ask that you bring those to the forefront of our mind and then, Lord, with only the peace and the love and the graciousness that you provide, come to us and say, you don't want them. Lord, let us see that you are good and that we need you. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to see you, this opportunity that we have to repent, to turn away from. Lord, I ask that you step forward faithfully and meet us as we turn to you. Show us your goodness in real time. Satisfy our longing in you and you alone. Lord, I ask that you use this next song as an opportunity for us to look long into your eyes and see you for who you are and who you claim to be. We love you, Christ. In your name we pray, amen.